Welcome to the Rockin' Life podcast, Rockin' Life After Divorce. And today we have Brian Fretwell. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. How are you doing today? I am doing really awesome. It's, I just, I usually compare these interviews, like in, for example, a detective trying to find these gold nuggets. I interviewed about 40 people so far since I started the podcast and I love it. It's a, I learned a lot myself. I get so much feedback from people that feel like they're hearing these stories. And these stories are crucial, I think, to, for people to kind of see that hope, that there is hope, that you are not the only one that's struggling. And it, it's, I went through a divorce myself about five years ago. And I know you have not gone through a divorce, you're in a relationship, but I love to interview people that have these gold nuggets, these things we can learn from each other. So that is what the podcast is about. And uh, you're an author, speaker, and a former teacher. We'll get into that a little bit later on. And you're a corporate facilitator helping people learn to create connection and validation that most people are missing through learning how to create meaningful questions and conversations. And one of the things that that really interested in me, in you was uh, about connection. It's definitely one of my passions to learn and teach people to connect because there's such an epidemic when with loneliness and depression, and especially when you go through difficult path and especially for men in particular. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast, but uh, we'll start out with, uh, you had a little story you want to share, at least a little teaser of. <laughs> yeah, it's actually funny. This story actually got picked up. So it was a TikTok that ended up with, I think, 3 million views. And then BuzzFeed actually picked it up and did a little piece off of it just about a month ago. And the TikTok was funny because my wife was literally shopping and I was sitting in the car. The question was, what's the most impactful thing you ever learned from counsel? My wife and I were going to a counselor and my wife and I both sit down in chairs facing him. And he asked me, Hey, Brian, do you think if I gave you a minute, you could get her really mad? I don't need a minute. It would kind of joke. And then he asked her the same question in under a minute. Can you get him upset? And she's like, I could look at it. You know what I mean? Then he pauses and he takes a deep breath, leans back in his chair. And he says, I wonder though, when the other person is struggling, how long does it take to make them feel safe again? Do you know wow. that about them? And if that's not the goal, then what are you together for? That has fundamentally changed how I view not just marriage, but relationship in general. And as we'll get in today, why our brains are actually designed that way, why that is actually a tough thing to do, why it takes a lot of conscious energy to create. And it's just not something we will do naturally unless there's some really key things in place. So. Yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit later on in the podcast. And I talk a lot about that, uh, going through loneliness and also how you connect with people. It's a skill. It's not something that you're born with. And uh, it's, it has to do with the emotional intelligence as well, how you act as a person, you're being able to be vulnerable and open uh, with each other. So, But you work uh, usually in corporate settings for people to create connection and validation. If you can explain a little bit more what you do, I would love to hear that. Yeah, we're actually four months into a startup. We're creating an online training platform that's also like a place for people to go and interact. It's kind of practice having what we call meaningful conversations that are based on these like meaningful questions. We teach people how to outline a meaningful question and then have 
conversations where you, if you're the person asking questions, you can only ask questions. You can't give advice, feedback, you can't give opinion. And then we focus the questions on purpose, strengths, resilience, influence, emotional intelligence, and how to be curious about the other person, therefore make the other person curious. I spent years in corporate settings as a facilitator all over the country doing corporate change and like leadership development or safety culture change, but changing attitudes and behaviors and, and learning to ask questions and learning to help people see themselves in the change and see themselves as being heard, valued, recognized, like is the key. If you, if you yeah. get that, then all the other change has gone away because humans need seen. And so our company is really like focused on the, that primary point of how do you understand design and deliver questions that, that help people feel seen, heard, and, and then are able to find their way. And in the process, you're more efficient in asking really meaningful questions. So is this mainly for corporations or also private individuals? Yeah, we individually thought it was for corporations, but the first two or three months we were building it out because that's my background in B2B. But we've been doing this experiment for a year where people come onto a Zoom call and now we have five different hours that we can have these Zoom calls. And over the course of the year, they started saying, this is changing how I'm interacting with my kids. This is changing how they, we have two or three couples that they get on the call. They rarely go into the same room to practice and they talk about how it is changing the way they're communicating with each other. But specifically, because there, there is a focus and intention of all of the questions and that focus shifts what you're looking for, not only the other person, but in yourself, the learning A, to ask the question and then B, the design of the question. And I said this on my TED talk three years ago, that questions are the most powerful yet most underutilized brain tool that we have. I listened to your TED talk uh, yesterday. I have a few questions about that a little bit later on. I actually started to become aware of connecting when I went through John Maxwell's coaching. I'm a life coach and I teach connecting to clients. I started to learn about that by practicing on an airline. I was flying back and forth to Sweden all the time for the last five years. And uh, I set up a goal to connect with the person next to me every single time I sat by somebody. Mm -hmm. So I said, within 30 seconds, I'm going to introduce myself and just say, hey, how are you doing? And are you going uh, home or are you going to work? Just to initiate contact. And then to just have a brief like conversation initially, but also to be vulnerable and open and starting to share my story. And a lot of times I would share a little bit about my divorce. And that brought the conversation to a whole different level. And a lot of times I would have amazing conversations and find people that I still in contact with. It's probably one of the most impactful things I've done in my whole life. I've gained amazing friends and real friends, people that I can share my struggles with, being able to be open and real. And I think a lot of men has a hard time opening up sometimes and yeah. being able to be vulnerable and being real. But I think yeah. it's also extremely attractive when you can be you and not be fake, not pretending, having masks up. I think it's very attractive for anyone, either in a romantic relationship, in friendships or at work. I think yeah. it's one of the most important things uh, uh, a person can work on and becoming aware of who you are and being you. And right. I'd love to know more about how do you teach people how to 
to connect with other human beings and and being that a curious person because uh, asking the questions i agree 100 percent in the airplane when i was flying to be that curious person about the other person not throwing up all the things that you know about you but asking the question being curious because then you feel it validated you feel like wow that person is interested in me then you want to share more yeah a lot of people have trouble with questions because they want to be hurt right we want to one of two things happen we're trying to answer something for the other person solve the other person's problem so we don't ask questions or we're trying to tell our story and so either case we don't ask questions but i think one of the first frames to think about is you can't ask a question of someone else that you don't automatically start answering yourself. That's just how the brain's designed. We call that instinctive elaboration, meaning your brain naturally, like what's the first car you had, you know, what town did you grow up? You know, you're not saying that out loud, but that question is being answered by your brain. On the connection piece, if you think about that, like when you connect with another individual, your brain produces a bit of oxytocin right? We call it the love drum. You get it if you get a hug, you get it if you're in a handshake, and it's just a really nice feeling. Well, when you ask somebody a question specifically, and what we break down is positively oriented, internally locused questions. What that means is instead of like, how's the weather? Our brain's naturally going to say, oh, it sucks. It's warm, blah, blah. We're going to talk about something negative, and we're going to talk about something out of our control, both of which actually make us feel twinge of negative feel. We don't feel better after that conversation. And so if I can design a question that is about something that's going well, but not just Pollyanna, right? Oh, tell me how the day's great, even though it's raining and horrible outside. Tell me what's going well because of you. And so that's that internally locus, like what is your part in making something great? Or tell me about a challenge you've been overcoming and pushing through. Again, that's in their control and it has that positive orientation. Or we change from asking, what are you grateful for? To when's the last time in the last month have you actually felt grateful? Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that's that piece of like in my control. And when you ask those type of questions, you're sending the signal to the other person that they're now in your tribe. And I use that word because that's how our brain kind of feels. We're always looking for impact out of the pack. Uh, and so that says, I'm interested in you. I'm asking you about your experience. I'm asking you about your impact. I'm asking you about your, your strength and in a positive way, because the other piece is like, tell me about your strength. People will naturally go to, well, I'm not really good at blah, blah, blah. Right. So that's in that, in that negative sphere and, and our brains naturally lean to the negative at a, at a ratio of about 10 to one. So, yeah. so being able to push that person will actually give them an experience they might not have had, you know, in a while and not known they didn't have it either. That feeling of being seen and that feeling that there is something they're creating good in the world. Yeah. When it comes to loneliness, how does asking questions tie into loneliness and how can that help this epidemic like we have today about loneliness? Loneliness is such a, I hear it almost every single interview I have with people that have gone through a divorce. One of the main difficult things is loneliness. You're separated from your loved ones, from friends, etc., and and becomes a vicious downward spiral uh, until you break it. One of the books that was very inspirational in creating this startup was 
a book called Together by Vivek Murthy. He's a surgeon general and, and the book is about loneliness. The book is about loneliness as an epidemic. But one of the things he talks about is that if you have 10 people in the room who are all, if you will, clinically lonely or, or suffering the effects of loneliness, only two will admit it. We, we have mental health stigma just as a rule in this country, but specifically loneliness, it goes counter to this individual, pull yourself up by your bootstraps ethos. And the thing is like, you can have and need other people, which we all do biologically and still be independent. It's not a one or the other, but when I think of it in my head as I'm supposed to do all the things on my own, that's just a recipe for loneliness and it's counter to the biology. We are an interdependent species. We're here and other species, the bears or whatever, aren't ruling is our ability to create shared fiction, meaning our ability to share stories and connect on each other's stories and then create larger packs, if you will, whether that's, that pack is a business or a nation or an entire world as humans that allows us to survive. When we don't get to share our story, it creates three forms of isolation. I'm the only one with this problem. We've all felt that there's something wrong with me. I'm, I can't tell anybody about this because if I tell them, they'll think something's wrong with me. They'll start judging me. And that silence starts to send the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex into overdrive. That's the distress part of your brain. It's the same part of your brain that will kick on if you've got a lot of hunger, a lot of thirst or physical pain. It's the same region of your brain that's there to keep you alive in the most dangerous situations. And it's primed to look for social pain. So I can't tell anybody my problem or, or I don't have other people that are trying to overcome this same mountain around me. And then number three is I don't have the tools to overcome this problem. And those tools aren't just internal. It's again, external. So there's some overlap in the three, but all three situations disallow people from sharing their story and make them feel as though they have to hide. And when that's happening, you just don't have access to your brain's full ability and it becomes self-fulfilling or rather it creates these spirals where it becomes worse because I don't get to tell my story. So then I go into a public situation and I don't shut up or the opposite. I don't get to tell my story. So I don't go into public situations because I don't feel like I'm going to get what I need. Or I feel like people are going to laugh at me or then those become beliefs and those become prisons for people internally. And how, how do you think shame is involved in that? I, I know myself going through a divorce, I was a lot, very ashamed of the divorce itself and talking about it. Mm -hmm. And I realized afterwards, after I started talking to people about my divorce on the airplanes, after like six months or something like that, I realized that shame dissipated and, you know, it wasn't there anymore. I didn't feel like sharing about the divorce with people I knew, like my real closest mm -hmm. like family and, and a church. Uh, it was a lot of shame about that. And it, maybe it's something similar about loneliness. You don't want to share that you are lonely. How do you think about that? Well, I think that like we create these expectations of who we're to be, what our story is going to be. So for marriage, if I have the story my whole life, that I'm going to be married my whole life, that I'm going to have this, whatever that storyline is, and then that story breaks then or, or changes direction it's a better way i'm not sure how to tell that story i'm embarrassed of that story and that shame is i said i was going to do this but i'm not even though 
if you look back at the reasons you said you were going to do that, were about these things you care about, loyalty and commitment and love and all of those things, the divorce doesn't change those things that drove the story. But if I get stuck on the story is I was married my whole life, then that is, then now I'm having this existential crisis, which, you know, shame is overladen that I must be not the person I thought I was. And therefore now I can't share that story out there with it. You know what I mean? Like I, I was presenting myself as this person, to everybody, and now am I not that person? And if I'm not, that just creates this just overwhelming messaging in your brain from what are other people going to think? What do I think? And all that is we latch on to a story that might not have been our story to begin with, that the real story is the people we are, not this thing that we do. Hoping some of that made sense, but I know in your TED talk, you're talking about uh, confidence, courage, and vulnerability. And uh, I think it takes some ingredients of confidence, but also courage to step out of the comfort zone and breaking down and being able to say that you are lonely as being able to say that you're going through divorce, you're going through a rough time to friends. I think it's a lot of healing in that. According to Brené Brown, shame wants you to be quiet about whatever you're ashamed of, because then that just stays there. But whenever you start sharing about it and, and bringing light to it, then that shame will dissipate. And I think so many, a lot of mental illness stem from shame, etc. Sure. And I, like all the things you were saying, I want to share this. I really believe that if I can't tell people that I need something, it's really hard to give other people what they need. Yeah. And all those things and about being able to share about my divorce, all of those things you mentioned are, are just an acknowledgement that as a human being, I need to know my story matters. I need to know my pain doesn't make me a bad person. Yeah. That's the drive to share those things. It's about being able to be, we have this question of, am I going to be accepted by the pack? And if we counter that with, I don't need that acceptance. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, that's where the spiral is. My father was in the Marines. He was a truck driver. I played rugby and football for years. Like I came from the environment of, I provide all the stuff for myself and I don't need anybody. And that kicked my ass for a while. Now, especially when I lost a business in my late twenties. And it was a really dark place. And, and I've come to understand that dark place was because I had a story in my head that doing this thing was who I was, as opposed to the underlying things that drive me to do those things. I've been married 18 years. The marriage isn't who I am. No, exactly. Who I, who I am is a loving person who believes in committing to things. But at the same time, if I'm not able to be who I am, in this relationship then or she's not right then the end of that thing doesn't change the story yeah i, I was very concerned earlier um you know maybe even from growing up concerned what other people thought about me mm -hmm. but uh, going through this uh, being able to open up to be take the courage and being able to be me that that has dissipated and i i don't need that approval i know who i am i'm i'm proud of who i am and i don't really care much anymore uh, and those thoughts about what other people are going to think and i think that's very healthy to to come to that point yeah. now uh if you go back to the the story initially about your counseling do you want to share a little bit more about that story and then how did that help your relationship that 
basic kind of philosophy of, do you know this about the other person? And this is, it really drives into why I've spent my life trying to understand questions and just like uh, directly or indirectly as a facilitator in some of the, you know, I, I facilitated courses in the Arctic Circle and diamond mines uh, in, in Australia and the coal mines and like places where the, the audience can, audiences can be funky, right? And we have to understand um, what's going on, but what happens? any relationship, whether it's a group you're facilitating, whether it's your family, whether it's your, right, the person across from you is the moment you stop being curious is the moment you start is you start losing, right? And, and the only person that controls your curiosity is you, right? But, and then it becomes what you're curious about. But, but as I, if I, if I said my wife is this kind of person, then I have nothing to learn. Then it's a simple choice of, am I going to be with that person or not? Versus like, wow, there's this, what is this about? Which is a question I love, like, where did that come from? And, and specifically focusing on, you know, when, when she does something I like, or when she does something that seems to make her happy, or, you know, like really noticing those places and, and trying to discover like, wow, how did that happen? Like, but if I joke sometimes it's like, she's not a morning person and she's, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, there's a smile on her face. Like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but that, that is because what we naturally do is the opposite of that. Yeah. Why the hell do you do that? What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. Like we get, like, we naturally ask a question about what's wrong with some, somebody. But if we're asking the question of like, wow, where's this is awesome. You usually don't do this. And now you, you know, whatever that, whatever that might be, but it has to come with a belief that to, to do that, you have to believe that's available in other people. And I've been lucky enough to teach in a juvenile corrections facility to be in some of the, I, I mean, I've essentially was hired for years as a, um, corporate facilitator to go to the places nobody else wanted to go, but what allowed me to be successful is that I absolutely believe that everyone has something good worth exploring. And if you can go and, and just dedicate, and I think you use the word detective and you start being a detective about what's right with people, it changes things. We do these weekly calls where people start asking questions. And it's funny because one of my friends on the call, who is like a sailboat captain, who I did not expect to be on these calls, who's really taken to like legitimately a sailboat captain, like runs a company teaching people how to sail. But he said, boy, this is the best dating program I've ever had. <laughs> I was like, try not to tell my wife I'm running a dating program. Oh, that'd be helpful. But it's this asking questions about, right, what, you know, what somebody's doing, what they're doing to impact the world, the challenges they've been going over, like what happiness feels like to them, not what yeah. makes them happy. Like when's the last time you felt happy? You know, how does that feel for you? Because that's going to be different for every person. Yeah. This is awesome because uh, a lot of my listeners are definitely people going through divorce and a lot of people want to start dating. And what do you think the keys to, uh, 
start attracting. I usually say you attract what you project. If you project a broken person, a lot of times you're going to attract broken people. But uh, if you're going to ask the right questions whenever you have your first date or second date or et cetera, what, what's the keys to attract a person like with the right questions? Yeah. And, and, and I would argue that we continue to, and, and just to kind of, like, we've been married 17 plus years, close to 18, I, I think, sorry. So my wife is a counselor and we've told people a number of times because we got married young and yeah. we actually had a two week engagement uh, because wow. she joined the Peace Corps and had a conversation like, hey, I'm joining the Peace Corps. If you want to go with me, we have to be married and living together for six months. We were married two weeks after that conversation. Oh, why? Wow. I called my parents said, hey, getting hitched in a week or two. <laughs> if you, do you want to come along? They were not super pleased with that. <laughs> and we ended up not going to Peace Corps and we were young and didn't know who we were, didn't know. And so what we talk about is that there's probably five to seven times that we separated, like in meaning like that we said, no, no, we're dating again now. Yeah. We're starting this over and deciding if we're, because you change as people, you become, yeah. you know, who I was at 24 is not who I am now. I mean, some of the core elements are there, but how they come out in the world. And, and that's this choice of like, okay, let's decide if this is happening consciously or we're just stuck in to the habitual part. And every time I think it goes back again to that curiosity. And so you attract people by what you're interested in and, and, and I want to like, but don't hear that as like you attack people by like, oh, I'm interested in cars. No, it's what you're interested in in the person across from you. Okay, so say that again. You attract people by what you're interested in. So as a speaker, I used to train other speakers by saying, your job isn't to get them to think something great about you. Your job is to help them leave thinking something great about themselves. There you go. Wow. And if you want to have, and like, so there's attraction in when I'm speaking or when I'm trying to facilitate a group that doesn't like me and it's a, or it doesn't like the idea that anybody's there now, not just me. It's that when I make my goal about making this other person feel better about themselves, and that's where questions really become cool because you can in that question, they can, when it's so much more powerful for somebody to say, I did this thing that I'm proud of, than for you to say, wow, that's really cool. That thing you did 10 to one ratio in the brain, in terms of brain chemistry, if they say it versus you say it. And again, that's from the speaking world. We have this idiom where it says it matters who says it. So you get your audience to say the thing that, that you would tell them. And if you can get them to say it, they'll remember it. If I'm having a conversation with someone. What am I interested in? And am I interested in their strengths? Am I interested in their purpose and their values? Am I interested in how they come over a challenge or what makes them happy? And if I'm interested in that, can I get them to tell me? And if I do, they're going to experience it. Meaning they're going to experience happiness. They're going to experience the confidence of getting over a challenge in just telling yeah. Wow. I'm going to have to re-listen to this podcast. <laughs> this is so good. Yeah. 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 Another question I had, uh, what is the biggest thing most relationships are missing in today's society? Yeah. Going back to that curiosity, I think that's probably the answer. We get tied into the story and we lose the discovery 
And what I mean by that is, and I do it in my relationship, I teach this stuff and I do it in my relationship, just, oh, this is how it is. And your brain is hardwired to habituate everything. And that is the biggest risk to any relationship. I don't care if it's work or home or friends or once you habituate and start taking it for granted, every person on the earth has been on the other side of that when somebody's taking you for granted. But it's actually yeah. pretty hard to see when we're doing it with the other person and when we're doing it with each other. I've said that before, actually, on the podcast. I'm all for marriage. I'm a Christian. I believe that uh, marriage is definitely something that's uh, important to have. That uh, the commitment is very important. But there is also a drawback with the legal paper in the way that you take each other for granted. So it's like I've been a little bit back and forth there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's on on one hand making it harder to to just go separate ways allows time to think about stuff you might not have thought about if it was easier, right? Yeah. At the same time, it, it might put you in situations that you don't need to be in for longer than you need to. I would agree on, on both counts. Yeah. So we're going to round this podcast off here. We, we had such an amazing talk. I'd love to have you on the podcast again and, uh, and talk more. I just wanted to round off and, and ask you a question. I don't know if you have any experience with either family or friends are gone through divorce. But uh, if you can imagine somebody listening right now and going through the very dark place of divorce, loneliness, depression, uh, suicidal thoughts, uh, what would the first thing you would recommend for that person to do? I ask this question to everyone on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple of friends going through that right now. I mean, the first one is always reach out, find somebody that is willing to listen. I want to listen to you. And I know right now might not be the time you want to hear anything from me. And so that as I'm talking, just knowing that like, if somebody's going through that, they don't need advice. That's not what they're looking for. They need to be heard. And so just telling people it's okay to be in that spot and to ask for that, whether it's from a counselor, whether, you know, if you have to pay for that with a counselor, if, if, but, or if you have a friend or family member that you can just say, look, I don't need you to fix me. I just need you to hear me. And that is perfectly okay. And the second part of that is that all of those feelings are purposely okay and purposely natural. Your brain is going through separation and we call that social pain of separation of primary pack members. Your brain treats it almost the same as breaking your leg. It's literally that serious. Like the reason we say we can't eat, we can't drink, we can't sleep is because of that process with the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex, shutting down the PFC or lighting up your limbic system. And it says, I need to reconnect with the pack more than I need food, water, or sleep. Literally. You see it in other pack animals, wolves will pass up easy food to go right back uh, to reconnect with the pack and your brain is saying there is a breakdown in the pack, which is over millennia has triggered the brain that says this is a survival issue. So this is your brain experiencing being chased by a bear every day and acknowledging that and saying it's that's okay. That's a natural process allows you to not try to fight it, fighting it, saying it's not real. You're not supposed to, I can't tell anybody about it makes it worse. Well, so it's, it's okay to have that. It's okay to ask for space and your brain is looking to reconnect. And it starts by being able to have people you can tell your story to 
Yeah. I love that, uh, that you said that just need to be heard. I felt the same way. It was actually my counselor that uh, told me because I, I shared that I was so lonely. I had just moved as well and that didn't help either. And uh, she said, just reach out to a few people of your friends that you trust uh, and just share your story. Not to a lot of people, but the few. And uh, my experience was that the people that gone through divorce, I had two people that I reached out that also had gone through divorce recently. They could really get me. I felt that they could actually understand me. And other people had a harder time. Well, I did not feel they were listening. They were awesome, but I didn't feel that they understood me. I, I think you're absolutely right. Finding people that have been through it is a, you know, is a great, is a great approach as well. And then again, defining, like being explicit about, I don't need your advice. Yeah. Like I would coach people on that all the time. And that's why we focus on questions just because helping people isn't about giving advice because those three things, I'm alone with it. Nobody else is solving it, or I don't have the tools. Your advice isn't going to help. What helped me the most is actually both having those friends because that got me out of loneliness, but also having a mentor and a coach that could help me that's gone, that have been through the same thing, but can give you some direction because I felt like I was, uh, I usually share, I, I felt like I was in the middle of the ocean in a rowing boat, rowing and not seeing any progress. I like went months and after months and I felt the same way. I was making progress, but I didn't feel like I was making progress. So to have somebody else to kind of like see from a different perspective and be able to kind of like giving you uh, hope was also very important for me. That we have, and it's the, the, the thing that is created, we do these practice sessions where people ask questions, but that actually stemmed from, I've spent the last five years and I'll do this today at four o'clock. Once a week on a Friday, I have a group of four friends that we have a one hour phone call where we can only talk about what went well the prior week. And so that's about tracking each other's progress. No, we're not holding each other accountable. We don't get to talk about what we screwed up on. And sometimes it's as simple as I didn't kick the dog this week. You know what I mean? I, I got out of bed. I just, you know, like I, I didn't throw something at the postman or, you know what I mean? Like just really simple, but really we we've had, you know, a, a couple of members of this group go some, through some pretty traumatic things and, and what went well that week for them was, you know, I, I didn't pull up in a bar and, and, and drink myself into a stupor. I, I stayed home last night. And that we need that progress of our good story to be tracked. And so what we do in that group and what we teach people to do is how to create your own pack that allows you to do that pretty consistently. Hey, Brian, this has been so awesome. We're going to have to round off here, uh, the podcast. And I know that there will be a lot of feedback on this episode from our listeners. And uh, I'd love to do an update here in uh, six months or so and uh, maybe dive a little deeper into this subject. I love this subject. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, best of luck to everybody out there. Yeah. Bye.